Okay, we're continuing our study through the Old Testament. We're in 2 Kings chapter 3. We started there last time. As we said, we're finding quite a few lessons going through the kings, giving us the, the Lord gives us information about the kings of the north and the kings of the south for uh, Israel after it was a divided kingdom. And there's some hard lessons, there's some painful lessons we learn as we go through. Uh, last time we ended in the middle of a story, we had the king of Israel from the north there. He had asked the king of Judah, that's the kingdom of the south, to join him in battle against Moab. And apparently in the process of trying to sneak up on Moab from the south, if you remember, the king of Israel also talked to the king of Edom and got him to join them in the battle too. So they had three kings involved in this side of the battle going against Moab. We also saw last time that they had gotten themselves into a very dangerous situation by trying to sneak up on Moab from the south. They ended up in the wilderness with absolutely no water for them or for their animals. But the king of Judah, he wisely said after getting in this mess, <clears throat> that they needed to hear from a prophet from the Lord. So that was a good decision. And it just so happened that the Lord had Elisha right there in that area at that particular time. So that was a real joy and a blessing. So when Elisha came, he gave them a life-saving message from the Lord. And we want to kind of jump back into that because that's about where we stopped last time of chapter Three, we're going to look at uh, verse 15 and kind of read up to where we ended last time. So chapter 3, verse 15 says, But now bring me a musician. So this is Elisha saying that, if you remember. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. They needed water desperately. They had no water, and the Lord was promising here to provide it through the prophet Elisha. And we get the picture here, you know, when God calls us to step out big in faith, and he's calling them to do that because he's telling them to dig these ditches when there's no water around, you know, and it has to be God calling us to do something like that, not uh, any of that mumble-jumble, name-it-and-claim-it stuff where you're going to come up with things and think you should, God should step in line and do your thing. But when the Lord leads us and he calls us to step out in faith in a very big way, we need to boldly do that, you know. And secondly, when God calls us to step out in faith, he's going to completely satisfy the need. You notice here that he told them to make the place full of ditches and watering holes. So as they trusted the Lord to provide water for them and they dug all those ditches, the Lord was going to make sure they had plenty to drink. He didn't say, well... I know you guys are real thirsty. Why don't you just dig a little ditch and I'll give you enough water to quench your first a little bit. You know, that'll, that'll get you through. No, he said, make this valley full of ditches. So he was going to completely satisfy their need. Aren't you glad our Lord is so generous, you know, and he's so caring for his people. Yeah, look, if we look back and we say, Lord, you've taken such good care of us. We praise you and thank you for that. So verse 17 goes on, for thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And the not seeing wind or rain here was going to be proof to them 
that when the abundance of water finally came, that there'd be no doubt that it was supernaturally provided by the Lord. Because the Lord says, you're not even going to see it until all of a sudden the water's going to be here. Verse 18, and this is a simple matter. Uh, Elisha is saying to the, the kings here, this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. And we saw this last time that God is unbelievably powerful. Not like the false gods, you know, that Israel was worshiping at the time. Uh, and here he promised that he was going to easily deliver the Moabites into their hands as well. This is not a problem for the Lord. You need water? Sure, I can provide abundance. You need a victory here? I can give you that too. You need to trust me, okay? Verse 19, also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. So these kings would soundly defeat the Moabites. So again, there'd be no question about who gave them the victory. And this complete victory was from the Lord. And we mentioned last time about verse 19, the Lord was saying, you're going to take away their prosperity. These guys have been very prosperous. They've been under Israel. Now that they want to be outside of that, the Lord's going to remove their prosperity. So this is going to set them back a number of years. So verse 20 says, now what happened in the morning, the Lord gives us the timing on this, when the grain offering was offered, that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. So we see the fulfillment of the promise, you know, that the Lord had made. And it's interesting to note that the grain offering it talks about here, that was actually giving thanks to the Lord for his provision. And here, while they were thanking him for his provision, at the same time, he's providing an abundance of water that they needed desperately. So it's pretty, pretty cool timing of the Lord to do things like that. And you know, it says too that this happened in the morning. And a lot of times, good things happen in the morning when you're walking with the Lord. You may have had a rough night, you know, the night before, but as the scriptures say, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. So don't let the hard nights discourage you. It's easy to let that happen, but don't do that. Look forward to what the Lord can do in the morning, you know, and just continue to worship the Lord and thank the Lord. That's the best thing you can do. Verse 21 goes on, and when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. Now, notice it says here, they're calling on all the guys who are able to fight, and even those who are a little bit too old to fight. <laughs> He's calling all of them, uh, even the soldiers that are good and those from the past, and he wants them to show them up on the battle, show up on the battlefield here to make themselves look stronger. I think they were trying to intimidate the Israelites and the three kings, you know, by their sheer number of soldiers, even though these all weren't the best soldiers. So here they had all these guys, as it says here, standing at the border of Edom. You know, I think our enemy tries to bluff us like that too. When we take a stand for the Lord, he's going to try to have his guys stand at the border to intimidate us. So whatever tricks the enemy uses, you know, uh, try to get, he's going to try to get you to back off from your faith. Don't even give him the time of day with that, right? Because we know you're bluffing. 
I serve the living Lord. He is so powerful. There's nothing you can do to stop him. You know, Jesus said that you can't even, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against his church, right? So we stand in the place of victory. And as long as we're trusting the Lord, we have no reason to, uh, to even give attention to what the enemy tries to pull. So verse 22, then they rose up early in the morning. So here's the, all the Moabites, as they've been told, you're going to be on the line tomorrow. They rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining on the water. Remember the water had moved in, all those ditches are full. And it says, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. So since it was early in the morning, the reflection of the sunshine made them think that the water was actually blood because they didn't know there's any water there. They're in the wilderness. They're used to seeing dust and sand or whatever else is out there, you know. So they weren't expecting to see water. So when they look over there and they see something really shiny and it looks like it's red, they're thinking, man, oh man, there must be a whole lot of blood on the ground. And then you would figure, where's that blood from? Well, we know these three armies were over there. So they concluded that all the armies must have come against each other. Something happened where somebody got mad about something and they decided to fight each other. And they're all dead because look at the amount of blood. I mean, they saw a whole bunch of red and they're thinking there must be a whole pile of, of blood over here. There must be a whole pile of bodies. So in their minds, they were thinking there's nothing left to do but to go gather up the spoil from the dead soldiers that must have been there. <clears throat> so these guys, they saw what the Lord intended them to see and they concluded what the Lord intended them to conclude. And this was all the beginning of that fulfillment of what the Lord said back in verse 18, where he said, I will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. And you know, we should never underestimate the Lord because he's able to do amazing things, things that are way beyond anything that we could even think or imagine, he tells us. So we just need to trust him, you know, and, and wait and see what he's going to do here. So verse 24 uh, and they, they cried to it, verse 23 here, I didn't mean to miss that. They said, this is blood. That's what they were seeing. They said, the kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. <laughs> so they're thinking, there's nobody left here and all their, their stuff is left. We're going to go steal their stuff. So verse 24, so when they came to the camp of Israel, they're expecting to see a bunch of dead soldiers. Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites. They must have been shocked, you know, thinking these guys came back from the dead. How'd they do this? So they rose up, they attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. So as the Moabites came running here into the camp, you know, they were going to grab whatever they could steal. Their guard was down because they're thinking everybody's dead. And somebody said these guys probably didn't even have their swords drawn. You know, they're just going in with their hands empty because they're going to grab all they can get here because they weren't expecting any kind of fight at all. So when Israel aroused from their sleep, you know, they were ready for battle. They went to bed thinking about fighting in this battle, and they immediately woke up, and they were ready to go. Yeah, so these guys were in serious trouble. So verse 25, it says, Then they destroyed the cities, and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water, they cut down all the good trees, but they left the stones of Ker-Harasheth intact. However, the slingers, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. So they did away with all of their prosperity, was the point here, but they didn't completely wipe the place off the map. 
they just did what the Lord instructed them to do. That's why it says they, they allowed this place to remain intact. They didn't completely destroy it, but they sure set it way back. Verse 26, and when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords. He didn't take any of those old guys with him. <laughs> he took the real soldiers this time. He took 700 to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. You know why? Because the Lord wasn't going to let him. <laughs> That's why. So the king of Moab here, he decided he'd try at least to take out one of these kings that were coming against him. Didn't want to go home completely defeated, so he thought, I'll at least take one guy. So he must have picked Edom thinking, this is the weakest link here. I'll, I'll just take him out, weakest of the three kings. But the king of Edom was apparently too well guarded, so his plan failed there too. <laughs> Don't you love it when the Lord has the enemy on the run and the enemy can't even win the smallest of battles? I think that's awesome to see the Lord do that and I don't know what's going on in the enemy's camp, but he must be just grinding his teeth and saying, I can't believe it. Verse 27, then he took, so here's the, the king here of Moab. <clears throat> Again, he hates defeat, apparently. He's going to try to do something. So what's the best thing you do? He took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, so he's the next heir to the throne, and he offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. Now that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Shows you the foolishness of man. And there was great indignation against Israel. So they departed from him and they returned to their own land. So this king, he does the unthinkable. He kills his oldest son and he burns him as a sacrifice to their false gods, thinking that he might find favor, I guess, from the false idol that he worshipped. And he did this evil thing publicly because it says here he put his son on the wall when he did this. So when Israel saw this, this horrible sight, it must have turned their stomachs because it says that they just turned around and they went back home. It's like, this guy has totally lost it. He's already defeated. We've already taken him down. He's got nothing left here, and he's killing his own son. So it apparently they just thought, wow, we need to leave. This is, this is bad. So I, I guess if this guy did this to end the fight, then it worked for him. But, but look what it cost him, his foolishness there. He just killed the guy, the next one on his throne, much less as his own child. Wow, kind of crazy. So the people of the northern kingdom here, they have just seen another major miracle from the Lord. How he provided water in the wilderness, how he delivered the Moabites into their hands, just like he said he was going to. And yet, despite all the miracles and all the attempts the Lord used to reach them, they continue to choose sin and they continue to, to go to the false gods of Canaan, you know? And it's amazing that we see the same thing today in our own nation, right? Despite the Lord caring for us, despite him carrying us through some very difficult times, you know, our own country continues to turn away from the Lord in the name of tolerance and in the name of religious acceptance of other kind, any other kind other than Christianity. But both during the Old Testament with Israel as well as in our modern culture, it just shows the evil bent of man's heart. So we thank the Lord for his continued mercy and grace. You know, we've, we've been blessed to, to stumble into his grace ourselves. So we, we rejoice that it's still there, it's still available. And we rejoice at the miracle of whenever anybody gets saved. I'll jump into chapter 4, get a chance to start in here. It says in verse 1, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets 
cried out to Elisha. So she's crying out to the prophet of the Lord here. And she says, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So here's a lady whose husband has died. And he had been one of the sons of the prophets, we're told here. That was like a training school for the prophets that Elisha was involved in, helping to train these guys. Uh, we're not told why, but we are told that her husband is gone now. He, he's died. But apparently he must have had some debt that he owed to somebody. And now these guys are going to come take his sons as indentured servants until the debt was paid in full. Now this is, uh, as far as them having a guy who owes them as a servant, that's uh, in the law of Moses, that's allowed. But apparently as time went on, they stretched it to say, well, if he dies, what are we going to do then? And I guess... Like our Congress, they continue to add more laws and stuff. They say, well, we'll just make it so you can take his sons and make them your servants. So that's, that's what's going on. So it's kind of legal what they're doing here to begin with. I'm not so sure how far you can go with that. But this would have left this woman in a very dire situation. Having lost her husband first and now her sons, she'd be left desolate, destitute with no one to provide for her. Uh, in their culture, that's what they were left with. So she does the right thing. She comes to get help from the Lord. She comes to Elisha, and she tells him how her husband loved the Lord. That's a great testimony because these are people from the northern kingdom. And we know the northern kingdom was filled with people worshiping idols. So when she says, hey, you know my husband. He was a son of the prophet. He was your servant, and he feared the Lord. He had love for the Lord. So this reminds us that there was a remnant who love the Lord, even in the northern kingdom. And the beautiful thing, you know, that we're going to continue to see is that God always takes care of his people. He's always got this remnant. And it doesn't matter how great or how small they are, we're going to see as we get in further in the passage, uh, this is just a great encouragement to us as believers and followers of Christ, you know, because this is for anybody who lives during any time period who's a follower of the Lord, God's going to take care of you. He's, he's going to do that. Our job is to trust him and to see him do amazing things as he provides for us, takes care of us. So go on to verse 2. She's come and asked for help. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. So this is an awesome thing to see about Elisha. About he, he really cares for people. You know, he's asking her, how can I help you? You know, and he's asking basically, how can I serve you? And, and you think about it, that's how we're to help people, we're to serve them. So he's really a great example for us of being a servant of the Lord and a servant to God's people. And that small jar she mentioned when she said, I don't have anything but this small jar of oil, that would be a, a small jar of uh, olive oil. And the, the wording there that's used actually says it's a small one. We don't see that in our language. They didn't translate that that way, but that's what it's talking about. It's not a big container. It's not a big vat or something of oil. It's, it's really this little jar. And uh, it tells us, you know, that she's barely able to survive. This is the only thing she's got left. So at this point, she really does have nothing. She's not saying she doesn't. But you know what's interesting if you just have a small jar of oil and you mix that with faith, then everything's going to work out. And that's, that's our God. That's so awesome. 
God loves to show himself strong when we put our trust completely in him. And you know, you notice here how humble this lady is. You know, she referred to herself as your maidservant. And she also referred to her husband as his servant. So having a, a humble attitude is a good mark of a true believer. And I think the Lord shows us some of those clues in here. We're going to point some of them out. That when you see this, you're thinking, man, we found somebody that really loves the Lord. I know they say they do, but as we look at their life, we can see, yep, their life backs it up. Humble attitude. They want to be a servant. They, get, they got all the marks of a, a real true believer. Verse 3. <clears throat> then he said this. So Elisha has given them given her directions on how to survive this, what to do. He said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. So he's saying, I want you to go gather these vessels, and I want you to gather as many as you can. Now, she's going to have to borrow them because she's too poor to go out and buy any. And, it, you know, it's, it's cool to see this. It's amazing how the Lord makes a way when we simply trust him. Because if you looked at this lady's situation, you would really say, man, all she's got this joy. What's she going to do? She, got, she really doesn't have anything. And Elisha said, well, let's see what, what we can do with what you got and what the Lord can do for you. So you go ask all your neighbors and see if you can borrow these things. And the neighbors' hearts are going to be open and they're going to they're gonna give her these things to use. So verse 4, it says, and when you have come in, so after you've gathered all these in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, so don't be leaving the doors open for everybody to watch this, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So her faith was going to be tested here as she went out to borrow these vessels for oil because at the moment, the only oil she has is in a little jar. So picture this from her perspective. She's going to go knock on the neighbor's door and say, hey, um, do you have any empty vessels that I can borrow for a while? And they might, I mean, you would think they'd just ask out of being friendly, you know, well, what would you need them for? <laughs> um, I was just told to get these. I've got a little jar of oil in my house, and the prophet of God said I should just gather empty ones here and get as many as I can. And, you know, people might look at you funny and say, I don't get it. If you don't have anything, why do you want an empty vessel? Why don't you ask for a cup of sugar? You know, why do you want an empty cup, right? So it's going to require some faith for her to step out and do that. And when the Lord calls us to step out in faith, a lot of times it's not easy. And there can be embarrassing things happen because we're going to have to say, I'm not sure why I'm doing this, but this is what God said to do, so I'm going to do it, right? And Elisha tells her to do this inside of her home behind closed doors because he wanted her to see that it's not him, but it's the Lord who provided for her family miraculously. He's not even going to be there, right? Yeah, so when, when these humble prophets like this show up on the scene, they're not saying what we, we see a lot of these guys on the, the supposedly Christian network do. Look at me. We're going to have this big expose. I'll sell this this even Christian bling to you when you come, if you want, you know. They're not doing any of that. He said, do this behind closed doors. You're not to make a show. And the, the prophet is saying, I don't want you to look at me. I want you to know this is the Lord. So all this direction he's giving her is from the Lord. It's not something he came up with on his own. Uh, we'll see as we go on that Elisha's he's constantly in prayer. He's, he's always in touch with the Lord. And he's doing a lot of praying through this too. So verse 5 so she went from him, 
and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. So she's emptying this little jar of oil into these empty vessels. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she had said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. I mean, every vessel they brought is now full. And don't you love it? The Lord provided those ditches full of water, and now he's providing these vessels full of oil. The Lord provides uh, everything that we need here, okay? So the Lord provided exactly what she needed. He didn't waste anything. It says there at the end, if you notice, so the oil ceased at the end of verse 6. So it didn't keep running out of this thing and spilling on the ground and all this. That would have been wasted. And even when Jesus fed the thousands, if you remember, he had the disciples gather up the leftovers so that nothing would be wasted. So we get some great teaching from the Lord here. The Lord is into providing completely to meet the need. He is not into wasting anything. So that, that's something we need to keep in mind as we're serving people, as we're ministering to them. The Lord isn't saying, man, I got so much of buzzing, just, just waste all you want. No, he's saying, I'm providing exactly what's needed, so you're responsible to take care of that, right? Verse 7 goes on. Then she came and told the man of God that, that all these vessels are full and, and all this oil came out. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. So Elisha, he gives her these instructions for what do you do next? Because she said, okay, I did what you told me. Now what should I do? I got all these vessels with oil. So he says, well, here's what this is for. Now you're supposed to go sell these, and this will pay your debt completely off, and there's going to be enough left for you guys to live on too. So I take it that her sons probably weren't that old here, but they were going to be forced into work just to help pay that debt. So they're going to have enough to live on until they get things going themselves. They're able to provide for their mom and themselves. So it's an interesting picture. So we see here the Lord paid her debt, notice, and he provided for her future. Yeah, so we see a picture here of the father sending his son Jesus to pay our debt and also provide for our future by giving us eternal life. Isn't that awesome? So in this story, the Lord shows us the practical side for how he provides for us daily, and he also shows us the spiritual side of how he provides for us down the road too. Isn't that awesome the way the Lord takes care of things? Yeah, he provides exactly what's needed. Uh, verse 8, now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, and uh, it says where there was a notable woman, and she prepared him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. So here we see another woman who was not poor. She's apparently pretty well off. And while Elisha was making his rounds to different places to minister to people, this is one of the areas he apparently would frequently travel through. This lady noticed that this guy comes through and we have opportunity to feed him. So she's got a, a generous spirit with the provisions that the Lord has supplied for her. And she also has a servant's heart. And she wants to help Elisha out when she can. So as he comes through and she has opportunity, come on in, I got a meal fixed for you. Pretty cool, right? Again, we see here a very admirable characteristic of a believer, being generous and being a humble servant, serving God's people. 
you know, she could have said, hey, I don't have time for this. You know, I got to go do whatever. <laughs> I got to go shopping, you know, get my nails done, whatever I want to do. But instead, she's like, I want to make sure I, I help this gal when he comes through. Uh, verse 9 goes on, and she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please, let us make a small upper room on the wall and let's put a bed up there for him and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. So she wanted to do more if she could for him. So she politely asked her husband, you know, can we please do this? Can we have an extra room up here made so Elisha would have a place to stay and a place to rest next time he comes through the area and every time he comes through? And it's so cool here to see the Lord provide through his people. Again, there's that remnant that's showing up, <laughs> you know. I'm so thankful the Lord always has a remnant. And, you know, if you are a true believer today, then you are part of the remnant the Lord has in the world right now. You know, there, there isn't, unfortunately, there's not the majority of the world that's jumping up to follow Christ. But for those of us who know Jesus, who, who fear the Lord, who love him and who walk with him, the Bible shows us that we're actually part of the remnant. I don't know if you thought about that. You know, you, to me, you, you look at the truth of the word of God as the Lord teaches us as we're going through his word, and it all makes sense. It's like, wow, this is like simple math almost at times. And yet the world doesn't get it, and they don't want to get it. So we might look at this as if they're growing in Christ and say, wow, why doesn't everybody follow this? Why don't they all see this? Because they're, unfortunately they're not interested and God's done such a work in our life that we are part of that remnant. Isn't that amazing? And, and what we see from passages like this, this should be a real encouragement for us. This is a great passage if you need to be encouraged, right? God loves to minister to you and he loves to minister through you. So keep both those avenues open. Be open to receive the Lord's provision and be open to pass on the Lord's provision, especially to God's people. That's what we see right here in this passage. So go on then to verse 11. And it happened one day that he came there. So they got this little room going and he's able to come there. And it says he turned into the upper room and he laid down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, so he's got a helper that the Lord has provided him, and he's been following along with him. He's kind of in the background. You don't notice him in the shadows, but now he comes to the forefront because he's got a, a part to play here. So he says to his servant, Gehazi, here, he says, call this Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. I mean, she's, she's really gone out of her way to help him, right? He says, what can I do for you? Oh, I love that question when he says that. Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. So you notice here, Elisha was open to receiving the Lord's provision through this woman, but he also wanted to give a blessing to her in return. So he's open to both of those things, to receiving and to giving, right? And I think personally when Elisha, it says at the beginning of verse 11 there, he, was, he came to that upper room and he laid down to take a rest. I think when he was resting, he was praying to the Lord and the Lord laid on his heart, you need to do something for this woman. But he didn't tell him what it was, which is really intriguing, I think, the way the Lord works on us sometimes. He might get us started, but then he's going to let us 
kind of coast because he wants us to interact with people. He wants us to be able to communicate, communicate with folks and therefore we get more relation and, uh, relationship to them, right? So Elisha here asks the question again, what can I do for you? And I love that. He wants to help her. So as we, we said before, you know, there are givers and there are takers. And the Lord wants his children to be givers. That's what this lady is a beautiful picture of. And Elisha's got this heart too. And God says, I want you to do something. He's ready to. You know, God always takes care of us. So whenever we give others the things the Lord has blessed us with or as the Lord directs us to do that, don't ever think, you know, that you're going to come up short because the Lord always provides for us. And that's a great thing to, to understand. The Lord is, when he puts it on our heart and he says, I want, you to, I want you to give this to this person. I want you to minister over here and really help this person. And you might have the first thought of, well, that's going to cost me if I do that. The Lord's like, you aren't losing a thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that up to you. You'll be well taken care of. You don't have to worry about that. Our God is so awesome. And look at the lady's answer at the end of verse 13. Elisha was saying that he had access to these, these people, these kind of higher echelon folks, because of the doors that the Lord opened for him through ministry. He's saying, I can, I can give you an introduction here to the king if you think you need to talk to him about something. Uh, commander of the army, I happen to know him too. <laughs> He's come to me for a prayer request before. So yeah, if you need something, I can get you in touch with these guys. But she says she doesn't need to see any king or commander. She's content with the people that she lives with every day. Isn't this amazing? Wow. The Lord shows us some folks about, some things about these people, some, some characteristics about these folks. So it's really cool. So verse 14, so he said, what then is to be done for her? So he's kind of running this past Gehazi, his servant. He says, Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So Elisha's servant here, Gehazi, he's been observing this lady. And he's noticed a real heartfelt desire that she has, but she would probably never disclose to anyone. And you know what? It's so cool when you have a servant heart like Gehazi has here, who can put his finger on her heartfelt desire like that. <laughs> it reminds me of what a good nurse is like. A good nurse usually knows a lot more about the patient than the doctor does because she spends a lot more time with the patient. And there are times when that can be very helpful. So a wise doctor is going to listen to a good nurse. That'll really help him out. So here's Gehazi. He's been watching. He's a servant. He's in the background, but he's been paying attention to people. And he knows this lady, she doesn't have a child. And in their culture, you were supposed to have children. That was part of God's blessing, and they, they hadn't seen that. Now, what Gazi, Gazi describes here is something that Elijah cannot give. Uh, you want to help her out? She needs a son. Uh, I can't do much about that. Only God can provide this request. So Elisha is going to have to pray. And he's going to have to ask the Lord to step in. Amazing. We can do that, right? We can ask the Lord. So verse 15. So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Yeah. And she said, I'm so thrilled to hear that. <laughs> no, that's not what she said. She said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. I'm sure, you know, that Elisha prayed 
before he gave this woman the news because he doesn't have the power to do anything. He knows that, right? Just like we know, we can't do anything without Christ. That's what Jesus said. So this was truly unbelievable for this lady to hear this. And her response, she was saying, please don't give me false hope. That's what she's saying to him. She'd probably had her hopes up many times before, you know, when her husband and her were younger and they're hoping maybe this time, maybe this time, and they never have a child. And now you've got a guy who tells you point blank, a year from now you're going to have your kid in your arms. It's like, wow. So she must have felt the pain of having that hope and then see it slip away in the past. And she didn't want to go there anymore. So she was never wanting to go through that pain again. And you can't blame her. You know, that had to hurt to, to think in her heart she wanted a child, but it's never happened. And now my husband's past age here, it's, it's probably never going to, it ain't going to be. It's just not going to work. Uh, verse 17, this is one of those passages you love to see. It says, but. <laughs> this woman said, you know, don't try to give me false hope. But, it says, the woman conceived, and she bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. So the word but there is saying, hoping against hope, the Lord provided miraculously for her. And it was fulfilled exactly as the Lord said it would be. Man, our God is so awesome. So verse 18, the child grew. Now, it happened one day that he went out to his father to the reapers. So it was during the time of harvesting here. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. So this young boy, uh, he's probably just old enough to start going in the field with his dad and see how the work was done. And now he's out there and he's got a very bad pain in his head. So the boy's hurting pretty good. And the, the father says to one of the servants, carry him to his mother. So he apparently wasn't even able to walk. Uh, it was hurting so bad. So verse 20, when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She shut the door upon him and she went out. Now that's, the, the norm, that's not the normal thing you do when somebody dies. You put them on somebody's bed, okay? She was keeping his death a secret. It's real interesting to think this through as we know what goes on in the story. She's a person who had no hope before, but now she has hope that the Lord's going to fix this through the prophet Elisha. That's awesome to see. Somebody who had no hope is now hoping for, oh, he's gone. What are you hoping for? I now know there's a God who does the impossible. Well, the Lord gives hope where there is none. So cool to see. Verse 22 goes on. Then she called her husband and she said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So she said, I'm not leaving. I just got to go take care of something. I need to go right now. So he said, why are you going to him today? <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't quite put this together. Us guys, we don't get it sometimes, right? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath, so... You know, he's thinking, it's not a church day. Why are you wanting to go see the prophet? And she said, it is well. So, you know, he, he doesn't quite understand why she wants to run off here and go to this, go to this guy, but uh, he's, she doesn't want him to worry. She's in a hurry to get to the man of God, but she doesn't want her husband to have concerns over this. You know, you may 
find that you have lost friends and loved ones who might hurry to bring you a prayer request. <laughs> so if they do, be kind and gracious in praying for them in that situation, right? Because she's going to run as fast as she can to try to get to the man of God here. So verse 24, then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, notice I, I think it's interesting, she saddled the donkey. The servant may not have been moving fast enough, so she's going to do this herself. So uh, she says to the servant, drive and go forward. So apparently it's kind of like a cart she put on here. And she's telling him to go drive and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she's wanting to get there as fast as she, she can. So she departed and she went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So he's about 15 miles away. That's a pretty good journey with a donkey pulling you in a cart. You know, you're going to bounce around a little bit here, but she wants to get there fast. So she's saying, I don't care, just go. So it goes on then. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off, he happened to see her coming, that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her. And he probably said this because he probably not able to move too fast. This guy's younger than him, faster, I guess. So he said, run to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. So Elisha notices her when she's still a far way off, and he wants his, to her, his servant to hurry up and go see if everything's okay. Well, she said it's well because she wants to get to Elisha and tell him. She didn't want to spend time telling everybody this story. She's thinking, i got to get something done quick here, and I know a person who can help. I'm not sure anybody else can, but I know this guy can't. Verse 27, now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. So she's grabbing him like, you're not going anywhere. I need you. I need to talk to you. But Gehazi came near to push her away. <laughs> Good disciple. He's going to be the bodyguard here and defend him. <laughs> it's like, leave him alone. <laughs> but the man of God said, let her alone for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So notice how sensitive he is to people who are hurting. He noticed her soul being in deep distress. I think Gazi might have too if he had to pay a little more attention. He's concerned about her hurting the master here, so he jumps in. And do you find it interesting that the Lord had not given Elisha a heads up on this? You know, what, he sounds surprised, like, I'm assuming something's wrong, but the Lord hasn't told me about it, so I don't know. One, of the, one pastor said it was kind of funny. He said, Elisha was surprised that he didn't hear from the Lord and the pastor said, but I'm surprised when I do because it's not a daily occurrence that the Lord taps me on the shoulder and tells me something. But again, this is, shows us you know, how, how Elisha was so in touch with the Lord. Man, he was very gifted and he was wide open to the Lord and the Lord continued to minister to him and through him. So verse 28, so he said this, or she said this, I'm sorry. Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I come to you begging for that? Did I not say, do not deceive me? So she's feeling that pain deep in her heart, you know, and it's almost like she's saying, why did you get my hopes up when I didn't ask for this? And now if he's gone, he's been taken away, you know, so, wow, this lady's really hurting. Verse 29, then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. So the staff here is a symbol of his authority as a prophet anointed by the Lord. And he's sending his servant there because he can go faster, I'm sure. And he's saying, I don't want you to stop to talk to anybody. 
If they even say hi to you, don't even say hi back. Just keep going. So he senses the intensity in this lady, I think, and he's like, we're going to meet the need as fast as we can here. So he doesn't want him to stop and talk. Verse 30 says, And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. <laughs> so he arose and followed her. So she was determined, I'm going to get Elisha's help specifically. She wasn't satisfied just having his servant. She wanted him. Verse 31, now Gehazi went on ahead of them. He was obedient. He laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet them, and he told him, saying, the child has not awakened. So he obeyed, but there was no movement in the child here. So verse 32, when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them. So it's just Elisha and the child in the room. And he prayed to the Lord. Man, I love to see it with this guy. So Elisha was in the room, alone in the room with a dead child. He's not putting a show on for anyone. He's not saying, man, come and watch what God's about to do. You know, we'll sell tickets. No, he closes the doors. Only him, the Lord, and the child. So then Elisha prays. And he asks the Lord for guidance for what to do. I'm, I'm sure he's thinking, Lord, please help this lady, but... I don't know, you haven't told me anything about it, so I have to ask and see what's going on. So he went up and he lay on the child. I'm sure it was under the Lord's total direction after praying here. He put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. Now, the child wasn't instantly healed or restored at this point. So this is going to be one of those miracles that happen as a process rather than as an instantaneous burst like some miracles do. And if you remember, Jesus had a similar thing too, right? Where he healed the guy and says, can you see? And the guy's, well, I kind of see sticks and stuff like, you know, people look like sticks. So then Jesus went further to show this is going to be a process healing. And to me, that's really encouraging because at times we pray and we, we hope somebody's going to pop right up, but they don't. Don't stop praying. <laughs> the Lord's working as far as we know. He just keep praying and praying and praying and praying. And we've seen some amazing answers to prayer, amen, I mean, as we continue to pray. So when, when they're answered, they were like, whoa, thank you, Lord. We've been praying about that a long time. And now we see your answer was yes. It's pretty cool. So the, the child's flesh became warm, verse 35, he returned and walked back and forth in the house. So here's Elisha, he, he got up from the child, again, I'm sure under the Lord's direction, he's, he's pacing back and forth. Again, he went up and he stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Most probably, Elisha is doing this walking back and forth and he's probably heavily into prayer. You know, somebody said this, I forget where I read it, but it was fairly recently, but in my memory, don't keep it all as good as I wish. Somebody was saying, you know, when we pray in our modern times, we're so used to convenience, we might whisper a little prayer, right? But this guy from, from a generation or so behind us had said, when we're serious about prayer, that's when we're doing everything we can for prayer. When we're talking, we're whispering, we're shouting, we're, we're standing, we're kneeling, we're doing all we can to pray and cry out to our God. And I think that's what we see. Looking at Elisha here as he's pacing back and forth. Then he goes back to the child. And then it says the child sneezed. And when that happened, sneezing shows he's got life. 
right? There's air coming out. He's, he's breathing again. And then he opened his eyes, and in verse 36, he called Gehazi, and he said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, Pick up your son. What a blessing. Notice her response. We get a great lesson from this, too. She went in. She fell at his feet. She's respecting him for the power he's allowed God to work through him, and she bowed to the ground, so she's honoring him as a prophet. She's not worshiping him. She's basically saying thank you. Then she picked up her son, and she went out. So she was thankful, and she was receiving. She picked up her son. So the lesson for us, are we thankful for Christ who gave us life? Are we receiving some of that life? You know, there are people who have heard about the life that Christ has to offer. They've never accepted it. They never opened up their heart and received it. But it's right there that we can open and receive Christ. We can receive the life he has for us as he provides, he pays for the debt right now and he provides for our future. He does that, right? So I'm really hopeful. We're thankful for Christ and we're also receiving all that Christ has for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your holy word. I thank you for the truth that you give us. And Lord, as you show us how much you care, how much you take care of us. Lord, we're just so grateful. And I know there are things, Lord, you do behind the scenes that we don't even notice. That you're always there, always cleaning up our messes and always picking up after us and always doing all you can to, to minister to us. And we praise you and thank you, Lord. Allow us to have that open heart to receive from you and allow us to have that openness to graciously meet the needs of others as you give us opportunity, as you motivate us and move us. We belong to you. We are your servants, Lord. So use us for your glory. And Lord, you receive all the glory, honor, and praise in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.